Welcome to City Life Church, and this is our podcast. This is Pastor Dave Diefendorf, and we are so honored to have you join us today. Our passion is to help you discover who God is, grow in the likeness of Jesus, and lead well in this generation. I hope in this message, God will meet you where you're at and take you to the next level in your connection with Him and His kingdom. Enjoy the message. Amen. Amen. Well, Welcome, welcome. Happy Sunday. We are in the middle of the series on the seven churches of Revelation. So we, we chose some really light material to kind of kind of go through over the summer since it's kind of relaxing and we're kind of rela- relaxed on the weekends anyway. We're just, no, just kidding. It's been like keto scripture, all meat. I don't know if you felt that, but it's been like, man, I'm just getting a keto diet on Sunday morning. But it's going to be great. So, uh, yeah, we've been looking at these messages. Jesus gives these churches, these handful of churches, seven churches, in Asia Minor, which is like modern-day Turkey. And uh, it's about 95 A.D., so it's about 65 years after Jesus dies and resurrects. These churches have been established, and they're kind of uh, well into their um, growth and... and, uh, And so Jesus has some corrective words for most of these churches. Some he gives total grace to because of what they're going through. But he gives some kind of um, direction. These letters are directional. They are guiding their, his, Jesus is guiding his people in the sea of the world how to stay true north on him. And uh, so we've been getting some, a lot of goodies uh, out of these little letters uh, today, we're going to look at this church of Thyra, Thyatira. I want to say uh, Thyra, Tyra, um, but Thyatira. It's the longest of all the letters, uh, but it's, there's some real good meat. But with all the circuses kind of going, uh, going out there, it kind of boosts my like, hunger for like, the real thing. Like I want truth. I want meaning, purpose, identity, the things that that our world is trying to sell us on a bill of goods, that, that it's not about our design. Man, I, I just want to get around his word. Healing over our past and a vision for the future on how God can use all that for his glory. Anyway, it's pretty amazing. So, let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your word. God, we come again fresh today with open ears, clean heart, a clean conscience. Father, I pray that you would help us hear your word for us here today. God, thank you for your direction. Thank you for your voice in our lives that, God, when we're in a storm of culture, God, you can keep us anchored in truth, anchored in you, and we can experience your peace and joy in the midst of all that. So, Lord, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So a little background about this city. Uh, there's a little map up there, but this is just 25 miles from Pergamum that we talked about last week. Now, Pergamum was like the jewel of, East, of, of Asia Minor for Rome. This was kind of the easternmost part of, of Roman's uh, established uh, kingdom. And they established, they established Thyatira to be kind of like a border uh, a barricade, so that any any uh, marauders that would come from the east, they would have to kind of 
hit up Thyatira first before they got to Pergamum. Pergamum was the jewel, is the diamond. That needed, that had, there's so much culture, so much theater, so much uh, civilization in uh, Pergamum that they established Thyatira as a barricade city. It was a military outpost. So it wasn't a, some fancy town, it was just a military outpost. So imagine just the whole city filled with soldiers there to protect this kind of eastern flank. And in turn, it became a commercial center to kind of feed and clothe and provide everything for all these soldiers. And so there was a little commercial center that was established. Thyatira had the most organized trade guilds of any other city in the first century. Trade guilds. We don't really have trade guilds nowadays. Nowadays, we kind of have unions. Unions are kind of a form of a guild. And um, there were guilds of bakers, potters, workers in, in brass, tanners, leather cutters, guilds in wool and flax, clothiers, dyers. Actually, Thyatira was known for their purple dyes. Before them, you only could get it from Phoenicia. And they found a different way to dye clothing purple, and so Thyatira became a big city for clothing. Actually, we find Lydia in Acts 16, who's maybe one of the first converts from Thyatira. We, we see her conversion story, uh, one of the first recorded converts in all of Scripture. And Lydia is from this town, Thyatira. And most, most people think that she went back home and helped establish this church in Thyatira, just a rough military town, God chooses a young woman to help lead the church. I mean, it's just kind of why. Um, but you were, if you were a part of a guild, you couldn't, you, if you were not a part of a guild, you could not get a job. If you were blacklisted from the guild, you might as well move out of town because you would not be able to get job anywhere if you were blacklisted from the guild. Now, this created kind of a state of jeopardy for the believers for each guild would have their own individual god that they worshipped for blessing over their craft. Uh, they would, um, and th those gods would usually demand absolute obedience. They initiated every trade meeting, getting on their knees and worshiping this god. They would eat meat sacrificed, and it was given to them by this god. Most meetings were filled with drunkenness and debaucheries. Basically, it kind of slowly evolved and become an orgy. And you were expected as a trade guild member to participate in all of that. So what are they going to do? If they remain in their trade guild to keep their job, they're going to have to bow down to a foreign god. They're going to have to drink like everyone else, probably to drunkenness so they don't stand out, and probably enter into sexual immorality with lots of other people. So what to do? And there's this tension in this city, because the trade guilds are so dominant in this city, there's this tension for the believers. How do we navigate this and honor the Lord at the same time? Be who God's called us to be, yet not bow to these lesser gods of the guilds. So this is the tension that Jesus is speaking into Thyatira into. Cool? All right, let's dive in. Revelation 2, 18 I write this letter to the angel of the church in Thyatira. Now, we said earlier that angel is, could be an actual angel over that church, or most likely it's the pastor. It's, it's referencing the pastor, the overseer. 
This is the message from the Son of God, whose eyes are like flames of fire, whose feet are like polished, stone, polished bronze. This phrase, the Son of God, it's really one of the only times it shows up in the whole book of Revelation. This Son of God, this declaration of His authority, that His authority is greater than that over those gods of those trade guilds. And He's coming with eyes with flames of fire, meaning that He sees everything. He knows everything. He searches the hearts of men and knows their innermost thoughts. But this flame, it's coming in, in the form of judgment. It's coming in the form of, I see what you're doing and I have something to say. This uh, feet of bronze, it's mainly bronze from the knee down. It, it is like an amalgamation of metal, this kind of pounding. It, it represents God's coming in judgment to this church. And he says this, and he commends them. He says, I know the things that you do. I've seen your love, your faith, your service. Your patient endurance, I see of your constant improvement of all these things. Man, he leads with a commendation. Man, your faith, love, endurance. Man, there's growth. I see growth in all those areas. And man, in this kind of city, man, great job. Your faith, your love, your endurance, great job. I see that. That's just so the Lord, a lot of times when he comes to bring correction or uh, bring admonition to us a lot. Of, it's always wrapped with hope. It's always wrapped with life. And, man, I see what you're doing, but I got one little thing over here. It's kind of like uh, you ever go to the, ever spend much time in the gym? Uh, obviously, I haven't in a while. But anyway, um, <laughs> no, but uh, spent a lot of time in the gym. And usually there's sometimes uh, there's mirrors everywhere. Mirrors to kind of see everything, right? And it's like, what are you staring at? And then, you know, guys that are trying to lift the weights and then work the mirror angles to look at the chicks, you know, in the rooms, you know, to not be weirdo. But anyway, you're still weird if you do that. Anyway, but there's sometimes there's, there's a guy that comes in, and he's not really that in shape, but he's been going for a little while, and he's been working on a certain number of muscles, but it's only the ones he wants. So a lot of times... What are those muscles? Calf raises? Oh, yeah, the calf raises. And then usually something with the arms. You know, you want those arms to kind of pop out. And usually a little core work. But a lot of times you'll see kind of a young guy, and he's focused on so many other things, but yet you can see there's certain parts of his body that are undeveloped. You're, you're kind of ignoring these things. And it's kind of what this church is kind of like. Man, I see, man, these areas, man, you're killing it. You're knocking it out of the park. But there's these certain other things that you're ignoring, and it's actually going to hurt you. It's actually going to come back on you. And so we read, verse 20, But I have this complaint against you. You are permitting that woman, that Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet, to lead my servants astray. She teaches them to commit sexual sin and to eat food offered to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she does not want to turn away from her immorality. Man, what's this all about? Well, this, in the actual first reading of this to the congregation, this would have been like a nuclear bomb because everybody in the room would know exactly who Jesus is referring to. You ever been called out like that in the middle of the room, you know, just kind of like, hey, Dave, and you're just kind of like, 
wait, wait, why is everybody staring at me? Uh, there was one time in college, and, and they, we had an art history class, 8 a.m. in the morning, and the guy talked monotone, this very quiet, and I fell asleep, and uh, I woke myself up, and just, I, I made this sound, but I didn't know that I made that sound. I woke up, and everyone is laughing and staring at me, and I'm just kind of like, dude, what is going on? I have no clue. But that's probably what have similar happened to like the reading of this letter when it's like, man, this woman, I've given her time to repent. She's leading people astray. Whew. Nuclear bomb. She's a self-proclaimed, no, no authority derived from church leadership, from Jesus himself. She's speaking on God's behalf. Now, that's a little different. She's not just strong-willed and willful, big-mouthed. She's not just that. It's that she's saying, God saith the Lord, and she's teaching something different. Whoo! Most likely, this woman's name was not Jezebel, okay? This woman, uh, Jesus is making reference that the fruit of her life is a lot like the woman that we met in the Old Testament named Jezebel. Now, we find this woman Jezebel in 1 Kings 19. And it was at the time where the nation of Israel was in decline. And this man named Ahab became king. Now, Ahab was extremely, chronically, massively passive. But he wanted to uh, marry for political power, political gain. And so he married this woman named Jezebel from Sidonia. And her father was the king of the Sidonians, and they were massive Baal worshipers, Moloch worshipers, child sacrifice, um, tremendous amount of temple prostitution, sex, and their worship. And so she gets imported to Israel, and she begins leading the nation of Israel because Ahab is so passive. She steps up, and she begins with controlling and conniving, manipulating and intimidating. And there's this woman in this church that has the same spirit as her. And so in her own eyes, her alleged special revelations from God qualified her as an authoritative teacher in this church. And a few people saw, man, she, she's, got the, she's got some gifts. Yeah, let, let's, let's elevate her. And she became a leader in that church. She was leading people astray. And so here, Jesus is saying, Pastor, church, stop tolerating her. Stop tolerating her. Now, well, I'll get, I'll get to it in a minute. If you tolerate, they will dominate. If you don't speak, they will speak. If you don't lead, they will lead. That's the condition that these, this church is in. You're too quiet. You're getting intimidated by her. She's making the church more carnal. She's seducing them. One glare or one conversation at a time, she's teaching that you can serve both Jesus and participate to your heart's content in the trade guilds. She was trying to remove the tension that the gospel brings to the world. And again, you can't have both. You know, she's probably saying, you got to work, right? 
I mean, God understands. God sees. God knows your heart. And this is kind of a little inklings of the Gnostic belief that kind of totally flowered out in the next century, which is your mind can be different than what you do with your body. How you think and what you do with your body, they're totally different because your body's kind of broken and decayed. It's kind of evil. But the, the things that you think about, the concepts, your beliefs, your, that is pure. And Jesus said that he'd given her time to repent. Maybe the pastor kind of passively tried to correct her, but not assertive enough. Maybe some friends of hers around like, hey, Susie, you probably should calm down about this, you know. She might have heard from them. But the case is that Jesus says, I've given her time to repent. She's accountable. I've given her time. But she refuses to turn away. A person with the spirit of Jezebel, and I will say, it's not just women. A man can have a spirit of Jezebel as well. Okay, so it's not just, hey, let's just bash on women. No, this spirit can manifest in either sexes. And the person, the reason why it's hard to kind of deal with is because it has to do with control. Because they will not be controlled by another person, let alone Jesus. And there's been a couple times in my like pastoral career where women like this, or a man in particular, uh, walk in and behave like this into God's house. However, being a Christ follower is about being under authority, not being an authority yourself. It's about being controlled by the Holy Spirit, not controlling others. It's not about demanding. It's about sacrifice. God, you're in charge, not me. You're in control, not me. You tell me what to do. I don't tell you what to do. Through this woman, Satan was using the trade guilds to undercut the church, to captivate it, to neutralize it, to render it useless. And I think how similar it sounds like, man, there's no shortage of self-proclaimed prophets and prophetesses in our day that that proclaim that they're speaking from the word of God or in the name of God and yet bringing teaching that is counter to the word of God. Jesus is announcing his formal resistance against this woman and her teaching. And he gives this judgment, verse 22, therefore I will throw her on a bed of suffering. Those who commit adultery with her will suffer greatly unless they repent and turn away from her evil deeds. I will strike her children dead then all the churches will know that I am the one who searches out the thoughts and intentions of every person. And I will give to each of you whatever you deserve. Wow. This bed of suffering, this bed, is in direct reference to the dining couch that you would find in the trade parties. And as she would be luring her followers into that couch or that bed. God says, you like a bed so much, I'll give you a bed, but it's going to be a diseased one. And those that follow her and tangle themselves with her will suffer as well. They will will keep being fragmented shells of who God made them to be because they keep playing around with the spirit of the world. God will bring her devotees to nothing. They will not live. 
That kind of living will never produce grandchildren in the faith. That kind of living, that compromised living, will never produce grandchildren in the faith. Now, out of that, you'll know that God is the God of all creation. You'll know that God is the one who searches hearts. In Proverbs, it says that the heart is wicked and evil, desperately sick. How can I know it? Like, my heart is deceptive. My heart deceives me. So I can't even know the depths of my own heart because I have blind spots, and you do too. And it's really hard to know someone else's heart because I can't read minds. You and I can't read minds. We don't know someone's everyday, day-to-day history. And so it's really only God who has the power to search and know our hearts. Verse 24, but I also have this message for the rest of you in Thyatira who have not followed this false teaching, deeper truths as they call them, depths of Satan actually, the esoteric teachings that these people were ascribing to. I will ask nothing more of you except that you hold tightly to what you have until I come. So here's kind of this this two-part message. Here's this kind of judgment on those that follow this woman and her teaching. And then he gives this another commendation. But those I see, there's a handful of you that haven't bowed down to these gods or this woman. You haven't been intimidated by her. You haven't been manipulated by her. Stand strong. Hold tightly. There's nothing more. I already see your love, your faith, and your service, your endurance. I see all that. And for those who are not bowing to this teaching, all I say is you hold tightly to what you have until I come. Either I come to you or you come to me. And then it says, verse 26, it says, To all who are victorious, who obey me to the very end, to them. This is wild. I will give them authority over all the nations. They will rule the nations with an iron rod and smash them like pots of clay. It's a reference in Psalm 2 about those who are on God's side, what he would do, lead like he leads. Verse 28, they will have the same authority I shall receive from my father, and I will give them the morning star. Anyone who with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he's saying to the churches. So those that don't compromise with the world, the victorious, obedient ones, they'll remain in me, and it says I will give them authority. Kind of reminded me like the parable that Jesus shared about the power, parable of the talents. And when the owner comes back to give an account of, hey, how did you handle what I gave you? And he says, faithful. Oh, I'm kind of spacing it out. But uh, where did that come from? Man, mind bubble on that one. Sorry. But he says, uh, my gosh. Faith, you, you've been faithful with little, and I'm going to give you authority over cities. It's this kind of wild turn that Jesus has in this parable. And it's kind of a similar thing that, that Jesus, through John, is kind of explaining to his people as well. Walking in the authority of Jesus. That Jesus has been given authority over all the earth, over all creation, And he's giving you that same authority. It's like a deputized officer of Jesus' kingdom. To walk in the authority of Jesus. 
He's the morning star. He says, I will give you the morning star. Well, in Revelation 22, later in the book, it says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright and morning star. So what's he saying? God, those who endure, God will give himself as a gift. Himself. When our heart is crying for all the things the world is trying to sell us on, it's himself that our heart is truly crying out for. The victorious Christian shares in Christ's glorious triumph and authority and possesses Christ in an everlasting treasure. Mm. So from this letter, what can we kind of pull from this? I just have three thoughts. Number one, don't be controlled or bullied to compromise with the world. Don't be controlled or bullied. Kind of like the fruit of this woman in this church in Thyatira. Don't be bullied. It's seducing because it appeals to our pride, our rebellion, our love for pleasure. Or just pressure to not be different. Just I don't want to stand out, so I'm just going to kind of do what everybody else is doing. People followed her because she taught a lie that relieved the tension of the world versus the gospel. And they, for all eternity, are forever enemies. You cannot make peace. Number two, don't be seduced in believing a false gospel. You can find so many people who try to alter or blend Jesus, kind of mix them up a little different, take a few ingredients out, maybe add a few other ingredients, and they try to serve that up as this is, this is who Jesus is. But in that process... You strip the power to transform human lives. When you change the gospel, you rob it of its power. And number three, hold tightly to Christ and walk in His authority. Hold tightly to Him and walk in His authority. You've been filled with God's Spirit to bear the fruit of the Spirit, to minister, to pray, to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's with Christ's authority that release, that we release God's power in order to accomplish His purposes. If you're a disciple of Jesus, you are given authority to advance His kingdom. If you're a disciple of Jesus, you can heal the sick. You can expose and defeat the works of darkness and the enemy. Remember that you're seated with Him in heavenly realms. Seated with Christ. And you are His. And it's almost like I feel like, to kind of land this, I feel like God just kind of wants to dust off our faith a little bit, freshen it up. There's been times where, you know, and maybe in your early walk with the Lord, you had big dreams, but then life hit, a couple dashed expectations, and you just from that point on began to plateau. I guess I just won't really dream big with God. I guess I'll probably, maybe I'll manage my faith. Maybe my faith is just, was just too big. Maybe my faith was just too big and God was just humbling me. And so maybe I'll just, kind of, I'll just kind of hang out on the plateau until he comes. But God is saying, no, 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 now's the time. This generation needs you expressing who he is out in the world. God needs, this generation needs his light and no other. He's put his spirit in you. So dust off your faith. I love Ephesians 3.20. It says, now all glory to God who is able through His mighty power at work within us. It's God's power 
accomplishing his work, not you. That's the wild thing. We put so much pressure. Oh, I got it. I got it. No, no, wait. It's about surrendering, humbling, coming under his authority, and then going and being his authority out in the world. So let God dust off that faith. Catch a full picture of what God wants to do or what is possible of what he could do through your life at home and your workplace, in your neighborhood. I feel like God wants to just have you sometime this week go a little bit in the deep end. God, what could my life look like full of faith? I'm not going to compromise with the world, but instead of just like, hey, I'm just not going to compromise, how about we build something? How about we actually go and do God's called us to do. Imagine what would happen in our homes, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods if we got a hold of that level of faith. May a spirit of might and courage that come from God be found in us. Amen? So stand strong, be faithful, and let's be expectant of what God can do. Amen? Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for your word. God, thank you that... God, it's the meat that we need. And Father, I pray that, Lord, if there's any of us here that have been controlled or feeling bullied into compromising with the world, God, I pray that you would right now come and put a steel shaft in their vertebrae. God, put a nice backbone in the confidence that, God, it is your word that is true, not the lies and the narratives of the world. And so, Father, I pray that we would be found fully in you, God, dust off our faith. Dust off our faith, not just to not compromise with the world or believe a false gospel, but, God, to walk in your authority, to walk in the power that you came to give your people. And so, Father, I pray that you would put a new vision on our imagination. God, that you would put what's possible on our imagination. God, that you would put uh, what one person can do that's yielded to you. God, it's infinitely more than we could ever dare to think or imagine. And so, Father, I pray that you would put that level of faith in us. God, that our body, that this church would be uh, to walk in that level of faith in this city. So, God, thank you for what you're doing in and amongst us. Lord, we celebrate you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, with that, have a solid Sunday. Well, we hope this message has inspired you and challenged you to be the man or woman he's called you to be now and to see his kingdom grow in every area and arena of life. God is with you more than you know. For more information about our community here in Kansas City, please visit us online at citylifekc.org and we'll see you next time on the City Life Podcast.